Welcome to Around the Table. It is disturbing to realize that sexual abuse is a reality for some within the church. Given that it is, how can we support and protect the victims in our congregations in light of the way of peace? Today, our experts unpack this delicate topic. So we want to move into a, a different topic, um, a very sensitive one in a, in a different way, but uh, we would like to be open, like to deal with this as adults in a way that's helpful. So the fact is that sexual <clears throat> assault happens. Um, uh, unfortunately, um, it, it probably happens a good bit more than most of us realize. It can also be a little difficult to define in certain kinds of relationships. But as we think about the way of peace, it is not appropriate. We need to speak into, as, as God desires us to be peacemakers and peace givers. And so we'll, we'll talk about a couple things, a, f- a few different things, some about what the dynamics are, but also we want on this topic particularly to talk about how do we help people who've been through it. So in this case, we're not talking about perpetrators. We're talking about victims and about how to help people avoid being a victim and, and what to do if that occurs. So I'm going to let both Caleb and Amber again just share some thoughts about why the concern um, a little bit of what may happen and, and maybe some thoughts about um, how it's missed or why people um, misunderstand it. Yeah, no, um, thanks for that, Ron. I think just to start out here, I, I do want to provide a little context for people just so they recognize the the realities here. And so the, the CDC would actually have a statistic that would say that one in three women will experience sexual violence in her lifetime. And approximately one in four men will. And so, again, I think that statistic can shock a lot of people. And um, maybe they've grown up in an environment where they're not aware of any abuse and maybe, to their knowledge, never encountered someone that's lived through it. Again, I say to their knowledge because it's quite likely they have. Mm -hmm. But I think we just need to be real about that. Um, and as much as we would like to think that this doesn't happen in the church, it, it it does. It simply does. And so if you start thinking about that statistic, one in three or, or one in four, and you look around your pews, I mean, that's that's a large percentage of mm-hmm. your congregation. And so this is not just an isolated thing. This is, this is real, and this impacts um, those around us on a daily basis. Assault is a very strong term. Violence is a strong term. Um, but it is sexual abuse. If it's sexuality used against another person without consent, um, if it is brings harm to another person, it's, it's not defined by the level of activity, <clears throat> but the fact that it is sexual in nature and used either for our own fulfillment without respect of the other person or as a way to control Mm-hmm. intimidate or cause harm to another person. It is a really good mm-hmm. definition. One of the things we want to address today is how do we as a church, how do we as a family member or as an individual and a friend um, help make it safe for a person who has been more specifically assaulted sexually, been a, a victim of some type of sexual violence, but nobody knows and nobody's going to know unless, unless they get the courage to bring that up. How do we make that safe for them? both in the general sense of how do we create an environment where people feel they can talk about it, but also if they come to talk about it, how do we help them feel safe sharing while they're sharing it with us? 
So a couple thoughts come to mind, Ron, and um, I'm just going to start off by by saying that it, it is hard to hear an account where someone has been victimized. As a counselor, I, I, I have heard that many times. I've heard stories over the years, and it is it is still hard to hear those stories. And the reality is that if you are in a situation and someone does share that they've been victimized, you have to you can't unhear that. I guess I want to acknowledge that. And so it, it is hard, but I, as much as you can, you have to just be able to listen and you have to be able to to sit with that pain. As someone is sharing, they are not looking for answers in that moment. They are not looking for solutions. They are just looking for someone to hear mm. their experience and what they have walked through. Yep. I appreciate that, Amber. And I think remembering in those situations the incredible amount of courage it takes for someone to start to share something of this nature that oftentimes this does not come out during the first conversation i think as listeners we create space and realize that um, it takes a lot to start opening up and there's a lot of shame and guilt involved in this and that being with them and sitting with them and letting them know that um, is a really an important piece. I think this is a, another spot too, where if it is a if it is a sister that has been victimized, this is a place where other sisters have an opportunity to minister. Just just thinking this through here, it, it would be very difficult for a young convert who has had um, sexual abuse in her history by a, a father, a grandfather to go and talk to our elder about something like this. Mm -hmm. And so I I think we just need to acknowledge that, Mm -hmm. that that would be nothing against that elder. He could be the most empathetic man in the world. And yet Mm -hmm. just the, the power dynamics and the, the reality there, that history there would make that really difficult. And so I I think as a church, we just, we need to remember that and be wise in opportunities that we can allow um, people who have who have this history um, to be able to to work with other brothers and sisters in the congregation that can provide a, again a listening ear or just kind of help someone through that. I appreciate that, Amber. I think um, the elder body as a whole has talked more about it, and we would certainly encourage it from this perspective about having people available to listen who are perhaps outside the authority structure of the church, mm-hmm. female as opposed to male. And making sure that whether directly or indirectly, the church is aware that that's appropriate. That is not stepping outside of the structure of the church. It is part of the structure of the church, that there be people who can hear those things and let them talk through them. Mm -hmm. So I think there's different pieces that are involved, and Amber has been addressing when that person comes. How do you step in with them? But we also should talk through, are they safe in the present? Maybe, um, Caleb, Mm -hmm. if you could address that. And then... After that, talk a little about um, what kind of follow-ups appropriate. In situations where the event has been within the recent past, it looks different than, for example, if it happened 10 years ago. Uh, but maybe even not. I think one of the situations is, um, do they feel safe now and where is the perpetrator, right? Where, where is the individual and, and are they going to be – you know, in the same space, the same location. Um, and so certainly we begin, as Amber said, with listening, giving space to um, communicating compassion. But we don't leave until 
we understand what do they need to feel safe. Are they walking back into a space where they are terrified that this same event is going to happen again? Uh, if so, we need in our role to support and help them finding safety and, and what that means. I, I really appreciate that. I think you alluded to, and I want to just comment on a little bit more. Sometimes there's not a risk of it recurring, but because the dynamics occurred, the person does not feel safe with that person. Just the awareness that this person violated me in this way makes it incredibly difficult to go to family holidays or to visit certain people. And it, it can be very disruptive for both families to figure out mm. what do you do about the fact that in that home that you want to go to. And I, I think particularly, Amber, of what you shared, you're, the person may be terrified to bring it up mm-hmm. and yet also terrified to go. And mm-hmm. how, how do they deal with that? The safety piece is mm-hmm. critical and in, in thinking through both. Are they making themselves vulnerable for it to recur or are they having to be in situations where just the emotional proximity is, is dangerous to their well-being, mm-hmm. even if there's not a risk of recurrence? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think just another piece to add here, too, is the reality that, that these cases are sometimes highly public. And that can also just be really difficult to walk through when someone someone has been violated and then the whole world seems to know about it. Um, and so again, just think of that experience, like going to church and feeling like your whole your whole church just looks at you with, with pity. I, I mean, it's it's a reality that mm-hmm. some of our brothers and sisters have had to walk. And so, I get, again, I just want to acknowledge that that is real, and that is something that we need to remember. Mm-hmm. Even just speaking end. into it, ever just acknowledging to the person about that we understand it must be very difficult to have this yeah. very private part of yourself public. Our, our sexuality is probably the most private part of who we are, and we don't share it. We often don't share it even between friends or people who are close to us. And then being in a situation where that part of your sexuality is known to all the public is just humiliating, even if, even if you're an entirely an innocent victim. What I think about, Ron, as you share that, is individuals may share this with us. We feel the need right, to step into taking some action when that's not what they're calling for back to this public uh, light Mm -hmm. and that all they need is, is the sharing of it. And we need to accept, right. Knowing that that, that they are safe, that they simply need the sharing Uh, because of the ramification publicly that it means for them to go to take the next step. Um, And honoring that is an important piece in our roles in working with these individuals. Mm-hmm. So I want to use that to step into what I think is probably the um, the last piece of this um, the, the specific how to um, intervene or interact, and that is, so where does the law fit into this? And it's it's easy to say what the law should do, but it's very difficult to bring in the law when it it may result in charges against somebody who, even somebody that you still love, even if they have been uh, extremely inappropriate what they've done. Or knowing that your parents or your brothers and sisters will be angry with you for breaking up the family or not knowing how the law is going to handle it. This is an area that we have to acknowledge. Law enforcement is not always as well equipped as they need to be to handle this sensitively. And yet I think, again, you can both comment, we we need to acknowledge that sometimes the law needs to be involved to protect future victims. Um, 
sometimes because that's the only resolution is to have them work through those pieces. So just any thoughts about not just necessarily when, but why the law might be appropriate to engage? So one aspect in this area of the law, Ron, is as we think about the way of peace, certainly God has ordained government authorities to be terror to evil works. And when we think about these situations, sometimes it's helpful for the law to be engaged, not necessarily for um, the victim themselves, certainly that could be the case, but also for others that may be experiencing right assault, future assault. And in that way, the law can be engaged from a place of not vengeful revenge, but rather a place that provides structure for health and restoration to happen and to prevent further uh, destruction, which is contrary to the way of peace, really. Yeah. So the, the last thing we'd like to step into, obviously a very sensitive area, but <clears throat> this question about whether and whether we say sexual assault or violence or abuse or intimidation, you know, it could be any of those things about, so can that happen in marriage? Is it appropriate? We know that the Bible blesses a sexual relationship within a marriage, um, but it's, a, it's more challenging to address how does that, what is necessary in order to keep that godly and God honoring. So I think if either of you have any thoughts about how would you, what are some of the things that you would say about when sexuality becomes sexual abuse within a relationship? What are those boundaries or how are those boundaries set and how are those boundaries violated? Mm-hmm. A couple thoughts come to mind here. First, being able to define what health is. Often when we talk with couples, uh, we lay out four, um, we call them the core four, uh, which are healthy principles when it comes to marital sexuality. The core four include mutuality. So this is about both agree. Both are in agreement that, yes, we're going to move forward with consensual sex. Um, There's oneness. This is about we. It's not about me fulfilling my pleasure regardless where you're at, right? That's not health, but health is bringing oneness and connection, intimacy. And then we honor and respect each other's bodies. We honor and respect each other's feelings, thoughts. That's all part of, of health. And then finally, that it's engaged in a way that does not bring shame or lead to someone feeling dirty or bad. And so I think these are boundaries, if you will, that define health. And when we start stepping outside of these bounds, we're in a place that uh, really uh, leads to abusive and, and really destructive kind of relationship. I really appreciate your laying out those, those four principles. I jotted down where we often start when we talk about intimacy and marriage and the fact that we believe clearly the Bible blesses and endorses sexuality and marriage. We also believe, because we're taught that God establishes a leadership role in marriage. It can be violated, but he clearly establishes that. The Bible even talks about cautioning withholding of intimacy and increasing temptation. And so we can't just cast that aside. But I think about what is intimacy for? What? Why has God put that that sexuality into the relationship. And I just have down, I think they match well with what you shared. It it should enhance connection mm. and oneness in the mm-hmm. marriage relationship. And so in a very broad way, we could say sexuality that's used for individual pleasure or selfishness or um, outside of that connection 
or oneness is starting to go toward abusing the sexuality. It is stepping outside of what God created that for uh, and, and no longer being used in an honorable way. Yeah. When it when it becomes a, a right that I demand. That's a great point. And rather than this is, you know, a need, a healthy need to be able to talk through and, and share and one with another. Because in, in Corinthians, it, it speaks of my body not being my own. And so both of those aspects are true of, yes, we are not to deprive. And whenever I'm seeking it for my own selfish desires, without, you know, without um, thought of the other, we're getting into an unhealthy place. No, I very yeah. much appreciate that. We know that it's very sensitive within marriage. And we know there's differences of needs, um, differences of understanding. Probably all of us would have to acknowledge within marriage there's times when um, that may be violated, but we need to recognize that it's not right and come back and correct that. There's really obligation for both partners to be highly sensitive to their spouse's needs. The Bible calls us to do that. The need both to engage in intimacy, but also the need not to, but not to be selfish, but to be very, we're called to to not think on our own things, but think on the things of the other. A healthy sexual relationship mm-hmm. in a marriage is highly attuned to each other's needs, not just to our own. Mm-hmm. So we, we appreciate being able to speak into these difficult things. We know that there's not answers to all of them, but we think about why is it we're discussing them, whether it's uh, abuse in families with children or elderly or dealing with sexual assault, particularly the, the difficulty in a relationship defining that. But we go back to where where we started from, our desire to support a way of peace, God's desire that we are able to live without fear in our relationships, his desire that we resolve things um, in a way that honors him and brings health into our relationships. So I I believe all three of us would, would want to say these are important, we need to step into them, but we want to endorse also just the joy of parenting, the joy of having children, Mm -hmm. the joy of having parents ourselves grow into old age and and some of what that can contribute to, and certainly the the joy of sexuality and marriage. We don't want to taint those. We want to focus on the blessing that they are and use the way of peace as a way to draw us to resolve those things which stand in the way of the joy that God would call us to in those relationships. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your interest and also welcome your comments. To share your feedback or episode ideas, go to the settings menu in AC Central, select User Feedback, and when the web page opens, click the Feedback on Around the Table link. Around the Table is a production of Onward Media, a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church.